Today on Blue 58, if you had one chance to get someone to love the Packers as much as you do, what would you tell them? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink, happy to be with you here for another episode. We've got a bit of a, a milestone coming up in our household, because they've got a name for this particular milestone. It is a birthday. Yes, I introduced him in this space almost exactly two years ago. And my co-host, someone say my son, is uh, turning two years old here in a couple of weeks. Very excited. A little bit scary. And boy, some mixed emotions with uh, with your first kid turning two. It's a fun age. There's a lot of fun stuff going on. But boy, uh, it seems to have gone fast. And one of the exciting things about seeing him grow up is seeing him get involved and interested in different things. In this past football season, he was, if not engaged, at least interested in the games that were on the TV when he was around to watch them. Sometimes it was nap time, sometimes he was already in bed, but he was interested. He liked it when the ball was in the air. He liked watching guys run around. He liked yelling, "Uh uh-oh, when guys tackled each other. And it's fun. It's fun to see him get involved in that. And I'm hopeful that someday he is going to be interested in football as well. It's fine if he's not, but hopefully he is because that would be a fun thing to share together. I'm not going to try to talk him into it, but I would like him to experience the Packers the way that I do. I want him to love it and enjoy that. That's really the thing that I try to get across with this this show every week. Every time we do an episode, I want people to love the Packers the same way that I do. If not the same way, at least learn to enjoy it even more. Because enjoying things together is a lot of fun. And I hope that's something that my son and I can enjoy together someday as well. So this episode is for you. But it's also a little bit for him. Uh, here are nine things that I want you to know about rooting for the Packers. Because I don't want to try to talk anyone into rooting for the Packers. But here are nine things that you should know about rooting for the Packers. First and foremost, wearing a jersey really does make you feel like you are a part of the team. I've seen people disparage this throughout sports media. And to those people, I say, get over it. We're watching a kid's game anyway. Who cares if people want to wear a jersey? Rick Riley harped on this in his column for Sports Illustrated for years. And there are other sports writers, some of them who I even really enjoy, who have kind of taken the same tack. Why would you pretend that you're a part of the team? Why do any of this, though? Do what helps you enjoy the game. And boy, if wearing a jersey isn't a really cool part of that. That was one of the things that first got me into sports in the first place. Everybody's got these cool uniforms. And getting that first one... My first one was a Robert Brooks jersey. Just it makes it feel that much more real. You can run around in your backyard catching passes pretending that you are Robert Brooks, even if you're never going to be as fast or talented as he was. You can pretend that you are Brett Favre with a cannon arm, hitting every conceivable pass and throwing every conceivable interception as well. You can pretend that you're Aaron Rodgers orchestrating an offense. You can pretend you're Jordy Nelson. You can just get a jersey of a guy you like, like Randall Cobb, whose blue and yellow throwback jersey is in my closet, like Charles Woodson, 
whose double XL jersey I got on clearance sale, I think at a TJ Maxx for like 20 bucks. Way too big, but still is, is cool to have around. You can feel like you're a part of the team, so don't let anybody tell you something like that is silly. Number two, getting a player to ride your bike is cool, but helping someone else get a player to ride their bike is even cooler. I was lucky enough when I was a kid to be able to go watch the Packers when getting players to ride your bike was a little less structured than it is right now. And when I say a little less structured, back in the mid-90s when we were doing it, it was a free-for-all. Just an absolute wild scrum of players and people trying to get their bikes in front of players. And I was lucky enough that Corey Bradford, uh, Packers wide receiver, picked my bike to ride to practice one day. That was pretty cool. But you know what wasn't as cool in retrospect and something that I have thought about ever since then? There was somebody else that day whose bike did not get selected by a Packers player. My brother. And I wish, as cool as it was for me, that I could have helped him get a player to ride his bike. Now, maybe his bike wasn't big enough, and maybe they wouldn't have ever picked him anyway, but sharing that experience together, I think, would have been just as good, if not better, as doing it myself. And I think if there's anything that we can remember as football players and as people, getting other people involved is often even more rewarding than having a cool experience yourself. Number three, don't worry about bringing a seat cushion to Lambeau Field because you should be standing anyway. One of the funny things about bringing uh, my wife to Lambeau Field for the first time was introducing her to the bench seats. Yep, just bleach your seats in Lambeau Field and that's okay because it doesn't matter whether you've got a seat cushion, something to sit on or not. You're going to be standing up throughout the entire game anyway. Stand up and don't ever let anybody tell you to sit down because you're there to cheer loud for the Packers. Number four, you should try to get to a cold weather game just for the experience. Now, I don't believe in a lot of the old, uh, you know, building character moments, things like that. Although there is some value in building character through difficult experiences. You should go to a cold weather football game at Lambeau Field just because it is entirely different atmosphere than going when it's warm out. The cheers sound different. The hits sound different. The football is different because of the cold. And being there in the cold is just a blast. I've been lucky enough to be to two cold weather games. One, a win late in the Packers Super Bowl season where they beat the San Francisco 49ers uh, wearing their throwback uniforms. And then... Um, in the 2013 season, went to a playoff game and uh, saw the Packers lose to the San Francisco 49ers on a brutally cold day. And as bad as that outcome was, I still have really fond memories of that game just because of the experience that it was going to that cold weather game in the frigid temperatures with a couple of buddies and just enjoying that game. Don't let the weather scare you away. Get there when it's cold, and you'll experience something entirely different. But if you do have to go to just one game, or watch just one game for that matter, noon is the best kickoff time. Here's why. Wake up in the morning, and you want to get on with your day. So what do you got to do? Well, kickoff is at noon, so maybe it's four or five hours away when you get up. Maybe three, maybe two if you sleep in late. So get up, 
get yourself to church, get home, grab a little bit of lunch, and sit down in front of the TV because kickoff is starting. Some of my fondest memories growing up, and I hope to share this with my family. We're coming home from church, uh, throwing a Jack's Pizza in the oven, and uh, just as that naturally rising crust gets to its peak, comes out of the oven, slice it up, and Pat Summerall and John Madden are on the screen telling us about how the Packers are about to take on whoever it's going to be that afternoon. Watch the football game, do a couple things around the house, maybe clean up some homework real quick, and then we're off to Grandma and Grandpa's house uh, for Sunday dinner. That was our routine on Sundays growing up. And I would love to be able to share something like that with my family uh, here as my son starts to grow up. Uh, Just having that game on in the middle of the day, having it on and being a part of your daily ritual, I think is possible with a noon kickoff more than any other part of the day. That's why I love it, and that's why it's the best kickoff time. Turning a little bit more seriously, I hope to teach my son, my friends maybe even, maybe other adults who need to hear this today. But uh, part of being a football fan, part of being a Packers fan, is developing an affinity for certain players. Maybe they become your heroes. And it's good to remember that as good as your heroes may be, your heroes are going to disappoint you. But it's still okay to have them anyway. Grew up rooting for Brett Favre, and the end for Brett Favre in Green Bay was pretty abysmal. A nasty exit in Green Bay. A nastier situation uh, with the New York Jets. And then he ends up with the Minnesota Vikings, of all people, comes back to Lambeau Field and beats the Packers then beats the Packers in Minnesota as well. Maybe I got the order wrong on those games. It doesn't really matter. You understand. Brett Favre did not end his tenure in Green Bay all that well. And Aaron Rodgers appears to be walking at least, if not the same path, a similar one. And I've got to imagine there's a fair bit of disappointment going around there. But you know what? That is a good life lesson. I said I didn't like the character-building stuff. I'm a little bit skeptical about sports as as a character-building exercise, though I think it can be. This is a weird character-building moment in a lot of ways, understanding that people are going to let you down. They're not going to always meet your expectations, not even in sports, a, in a way, kind of a fictional reality. They're going to come up short for you. It's not going to be great all the time, but that's okay. It's part of life, and it's okay to get attached to players even knowing that they are going to let you down. They're mortals just like you. I would also like to tell you that football is fun and you've got to be sure to find a way to have fun even while watching and not playing and even when your team is losing. So 2017 was a pretty ugly season by any stretch of the imagination. Aaron Rodgers cracks his collarbone. Thank you, Anthony Barr. And the Packers go into a bit of a spiral from there. But I look back on that season as tough as it was at the time, with something resembling fond memories. Because I remember what it meant to be able to watch the Packers and talk about them at that time. We were going through some some family stuff at that time that has worked out since. We were trying to move. We were trying to switch jobs. My wife was starting a new job. There's a lot of stuff going on all at once, trying to get a house sold. It was a pain. But having the Packers there was a nice distraction. And even if it wasn't pretty, it was fun to watch, to talk about it, to podcast about it, 
and there are always fun things that you can find. It's fun to watch things play out, even if it's not playing out how you would like it to. It's fun to follow the story of a team as they develop over the course of the season. It's fun to look back and remember the fun moments, the good moments of that season. The Packers had a great win in overtime against the Cincinnati Bengals. Do you remember Josh Jones going bananas in that game? Uh, Like 12 tackles, two sacks. Uh, Do you remember Aaron Rodgers leading a great game-winning drive against the Cowboys that year? Do you remember the brave attempt he made to come back? How well the Packers did while playing pretty awfully still against the Carolina Panthers and coming up short? All of that stuff still matters. All of that stuff is worth remembering, even if it wasn't fun. This is a distraction, and remembering the bad times help you appreciate the good times as well. I'd also like you to know that learning about football is a fun multiplier. It's what we're doing with this book club thing. We're trying to improve what we know about the history of the of the NFL, of football. We're trying to figure out more about what the, makes this game great. And you don't have to learn a lot. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to know every single player's background. You don't have to grind, grind tape. But learn more about why the things that are happening on the field are happening. Learn what makes good players good and why. Having worked in radio and worked around sports and radio for a while, I can tell you firsthand the people who know the least about the game are the people who get the maddest about it and who have the most irrational rage about what's going on on the field. Why don't the Packers just trade for this guy? Why don't the Packers run this play? Why don't they do this, that, and the other thing? Well, if you knew... Anything about anything, you would know why most of those suggestions are crazy on their face. But learning the inside stuff, learning why certain things happen the way they do, learning why certain players do get signed or don't get signed, or maybe should have been signed but weren't, or were let go but shouldn't have been, makes it that much more fun, makes you that much more invested, makes it that much more personal for you. Learning is fun. And learning more about something you love is only going to help you love it more. Finally, and this is for everybody, but whether it's Packers football or something else, it's the good memories about something that are the most important. So always try to find the good stuff that's going on. Because that is what is going to stick with you. The good stuff is what I remember. A couple things come to mind. Um, Packers Super Bowl season in 1996 was great, but I and I've told this story before, but what I remember from that year is just one random Sunday, my mom asked if I wanted to have a friend over to watch the game. Never happened. We didn't have people over on Sundays. We didn't do that. But somebody came over. We had a fun time watching the game together, and, and that's something that I've always remembered. The 2014 season for the Packers ended pretty sadly, but in the midst of a a minor health scare involving my grandpa, we got to watch the Packers win a playoff game against the Dallas Cowboys. Aaron Rodgers having a great game, Randall Cobb having a great game, Julius Peppers uh, stripping DeMarco Murray at a great time. 
and that's what I remember. And I remember watching part of the game with my grandpa in his uh, in his pre-op checkup, just waiting to to just go through that process with him, just thinking about how badly we needed a distraction and how great that distraction was. Thinking back to the Packers Super Bowl run in 2010, college was not a super fun time for me, but thinking about watching games with my friend Luke at his house is what I remember from that fall, at least. And the particulars about game, and I'm a weird exception to this because I remember a lot of particulars from a lot of games for very bad reasons, I would say. Just I'd have a memory that works that way. But the particulars about games are going to fade over time. It's just inevitable. But it's hard to replace the feelings. So focus on those good feelings when you're rooting for the Packers, when you're watching these games with your friends, when you're following the team. Remember those feelings because that's what matters. The fun is what matters. The wins and losses are things you're all going to forget. But the fun you have, that is never going to go away. Let's talk about something completely different. Blood, Sweat, and Chalk. Chapter 3, The Wildcat. Discussion might go a little bit shorter on this one, and I think that's okay. Because we're about to transition in this book a little bit from the single wing and wing T offenses into stuff that is, I guess, a little bit more modern. And this is a marriage of that. And I think it's a good sort of example of why football is the way it is. I love this quote uh, from early in the chapter. Quote, the philosophy of the wildcat is based on simple maths. Math, excuse me. Defenses traditionally try to account for every possible ball carrier and gap. In doing so, they disregard a quarterback under sender, except in an option center. Then quoting Bill Belichick, quote, When you put a quarterback under center, you lose a blocker, you lose a gap offensively. You play basically with 10 men on offense. But when the quarterback is one of the runners, whether it's a single wing or veer or wishbone, the defense runs out of people to defend you. End quote. Both quotes, I guess. It's not so much that you run out of people. It's that the defense is now on equal footing with the offense. If a quarterback is under center, they have a man advantage. There is one guy they don't have to defend, or at least don't have to defend in the exact same way as the five other skill position players and don't have to account of the same way as the five blockers up front. And we'll get into this a little bit more in the coming chapters as we talk about the option, but when the quarterback has the ball in his hands as a runner and a thrower, that changes the game entirely. You have to account for him in a different way. It's interesting looking back at when this book was written. It was not long after this Wildcat offense really took off for the Miami Dolphins. So that was 2008. This book came out in 2011. They're still less than five years away. Ronnie Brown was still in the league at the time. Many of the players involved, many of the coaches involved, were still playing and coaching in the NFL. Some of the stuff has moved since then. I still think we're probably looking for that true dual threat quarterback who is just as much of a threat as a thrower, as a runner. And I kind of think that's something people are going to keep putting out there as almost the holy grail of offense. And I really don't think anybody's ever going to find it. But I think the main thrust of this chapter 
kind of summarized by Chan Gailey, is probably true. Gailey says in this chapter the NFL is probably going to move toward more single-wing stuff. I'm paraphrasing, not quoting directly from the book here, uh, because college isn't producing the big throwers. And I think we've seen some of that in the NFL draft the last couple of years. Kyler Murray going first overall. Uh, More guys that are smaller and more slightly built instead of these big statuesque throwers going in the first round. Think of a guy like Joe Flacco, drafted back in the first round. I don't, it doesn't matter when. Um, but he's just a big statue in the pocket. He was drafted in the first round because he was a great thrower of the football. I wonder if he would be drafted in the first round anymore. Probably because drafting a, a quarterback who has a big cannon arm, elite arm talent, I guess is how the NFL draft Knicks would say it, is always going to be a surefire thing that you can sell to your owners. Look at this guy. He's got elite arm talent. We can build an offense around him. There is always going to be a place for guys like that. But if Chan Gailey is correct and college is producing, if not so much the big throwers as much anymore, maybe just different throwers, it gets really hard to bet against that trend. And he almost thinks somebody's got to find a way to get this to stick. Think about that numbers game that Bill Belichick talks about, you know, playing with 10 men on offense. There is some incentive there to get that numbers game even. Then think about a slightly different numbers game. First, how many truly elite football throwers are there out there? Just look at the guys who get taken in the first round in a given year. Look at, well, for instance, look at the year the Packers took Jordan Love, 2020. There are some potential elite throwers there. Uh, Joe Burrow uh, seems to have pretty elite arm. Justin Herbert, probably too. Uh, but Tua Tagovailoa didn't have a super live arm, and there have been concerns about his arm strength even going forward as he's had some injury concerns. But Jordan Love gets drafted almost purely off of arm talent. There is a pretty even mix there between guys getting taken just for arms and guys getting taken because they have some strong arm attributes, but other, other attributes as well. I think Tua and Jordan Love are kind of examples of that. But just looking at the elite throwers out there, it's a pretty limited pool. But expanding that pool out a little bit, how many elite athletes are there? How many guys that are putting up the 8, 9, 10 relative athletic score are there out there. A lot more. Then, how many elite athletes are there out there that are at least pretty good throwers? If not elite passers, how many are just pretty good? Then you're starting to get to a pretty big, or at least a bigger pool of prospects out there. There is an incentive out there to trying to find a way to involve guys that are great athletes and only good throwers. It's just a matter of when someone's going to figure out how to use them the most effectively. I think the bias here shows a little bit in this this piece too, and it probably shows a little bit why this has been such a tough sell to get offenses like this integrated into the NFL a little bit more. Layden calls Michael Vick a running back playing quarterback and a novelty. That is a bit harsh. Michael Vick may not have been a great passer, but he certainly was pretty darn good at his best. He was a great runner, sure, but he wasn't just a running back playing quarterback. 
Ronnie Brown was a running back playing quarterback. Michael Vick was way better than that. Somebody, though, has to get this figured out. And maybe maybe it's not going to look like a wildcat. Maybe it's not going to look like single wing. Maybe it's going to look more, probably is going to look a little bit more like a Colin Kaepernick, a Lamar Jackson, a guy who has the ability to throw it pretty well, but also elite running ability. That may be the way forward. And the better NFL offenses get at integrating the running portion of that, keeping guys out of harm's way, I think the pool just get big, gets bigger. And I am all for that because finding different ways to succeed in football is part of what makes football interesting. It's part of what college football, I think, has over the NFL. I am an NFL diehard. I rarely watch college football, partly because of time, but partly because of you know, where my investments are as a fan. But one of the things I do love about college football that really is not super present in the NFL is the diversity. There are some weird and wild offenses in college football that you just don't see in the NFL. Where is the NFL team running triple option? It doesn't exist. Where is the NFL team running whatever it is that Baylor runs? It doesn't really exist. But there are teams that run those things in college and succeed with them. And so I guess the the thing that I take away from this chapter is just a sense of hope that something different is possible. And I hope that we get a chance to see something seriously different take root in the NFL in a meaningful way. That's all I've got for you on this episode. Appreciate you listening in. If you enjoyed this episode and think somebody else would enjoy it as well, I would encourage you to go ahead and share this episode. That's going to help more people find the show, which is, of course, the number one way this show is going to grow. Getting more people to listen helps us grow this conversation about the Green Bay Packers and gets everybody uh, involved in new and interesting ways, ultimately helping all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.